Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and Chavruta Yerdena Asband, our da- Masachat Sukkah, Daf Hey, page five. So page five continues on the heels of page four, as you would expect. Um, and we were talking about the measurements of the sukkah, the minimum, the minimum measurements of a sukkah, and it was brought in the context of um, the the Aron, right? The the Ark of the Covenant, right? The idea that there's a certain measurement of that, which got us to nine and a half tzachim, and then the um, and then the question is, you know, how does that relate to the sukkah? The minimum sukkah that we said was ten tzachim high. So the, the really that's what the discussion is, right? The real concern here is about the size of the sukkah, but the discussion takes us a little bit further afield, and the dis- and it says, you know. It talks about Hashem's Shechina and the way the the way Hashem came down to meet with man, so to speak. So to speak. The Gemara says, didn't Hashem's presence like not, it, it came down, but did it never come down below these ten Tfachim? We know that we have, you know, biblical testimony to the idea that, or to the narrative that Hashem came down on Har Sinai. So the Gemara explains, you know, resolves this by saying, Yes, Hashem came down, but not so far as to come down all the way. He always stayed, you know, 10 Tfachim still high, above, I, I guess, above the ground. So that, you know, every time that we talk about God coming down, and here too, on that day, his feet will stand on Har on the mountain of olives. This is a passage from Zechariah. Um, and the Gemara says, yes, yes, that's true. It does say he came down, his feet will stand, but it means ten tfachim above the ground. So there's two details here, I think, that are a little bit tricky. Um, one is, of course, the question of what does it mean to talk about God coming down in a physical, corporeal manner, right? That's the, the text of Zechariah is very physical. God's feet, right? And then, and at the other hand, we say, well, he doesn't come down below ten tzvachim. To me, it reads like this is a position that is stated and then, and then asserted and then implemented because it has been stated and asserted, right? Meaning the way it says, well, we've got a verse that says he came down, and the answer is no, no, but not, but always above ten tzvachim. We don't have the biblical text arguing against the biblical text. We have a biblical text saying God came down, and then we have the rabbinic text saying, but not that far. He was always ten tfachim higher. So it's it's an interesting, I don't know, meaning it's an assertion about God's inability, I guess. That's not a right word to use about God. The fact that the finite and the infinite will not meet is is underlying this whole discussion because the idea of, well, God could come down to man, man can't go up to God, but even so, God's not going to come down all the way. And then, of course, the Gemara goes on to say, but one second, didn't, didn't in fact, man go up to God? Didn't Moshe and Eliyahu go up to the heavens? Moshe went up to God, which is a verse in Shemot, meaning, again, this is, this is all about the revelation. We know this took place, at least, you know, the, the biblical text tells us this took place. Lamata So then the Gemara says, yes, yes, but Moshe stayed 
below the ten tefachim that were next to the ground. Meaning he didn't go above. He went up, but not that high up. Hashem didn't come that far down, and Moshe didn't go that high up. One second, but Eliyahu went up into the world, you know, in a whirlwind to the heavens. We know that, right? He kind of went up in this chariot and disappears. Isn't that going all the way to Shemaim? And the Gemara says, Lamata No, but not, he, he didn't go higher than Ten Fachim. Vaktiv, Machez Pneki Parshez Alav Anano. And we have another verse that says, this is now from Eov. He grasps the face of the throne and spreads Perches Alav Anano. He spreads the crowd, the Clouds upon him. So Rabbi Tanchum says, look, that verse in Eov says that Hashem spread the, the radiance of the Shrina and of the cloud upon him, upon Eov. Uh, maybe it's upon Moshe, right? And the claim is that Moshe was in this cloud with Hashem. And then the Gemara's assertion again says, Lamata Measara. Nope, this was also below ten tzvachim. So this is the part that I'm finding to be, um, you know, for all that the ver- the Gemara is working so hard to derive a, a, a measurement here and using, you know, with the attempt to get there from all kinds of biblical verses, meaning from all over Tanakh, at the end of the day, the assertion of, yes, but they never really come within those ten tzvachim of each other, it, it's it's an interesting statement to me. Because it is not, it is not derived from anywhere. It is, it is repeated and repeated. But it's the claim of it is coming from the Gemara, as far as I can tell. So I I totally love this passage, because you know first of all it's getting into we're talking about real finite space with the sukkah, and now we're trying to figure out how what the smallest sukkah is. And it leads us onto this amazing tangent, as you said, Anne, of the finite and the infinite. How can they meet each other? And it's pretty clear that Chazal's falling out on, they actually don't really ever meet each other. And the one example we have where Moshe does seem to somehow meet the infinite, it's really the Kisei comes down. And I think it's interesting that it's the Kisei because it's not, the Kisei in a way is like an extension of God's glory but it's not God, you know, God, him or herself, right? It's an extension. It's, it's, it's a symbol of God's glory. And, you know, I think we've always been brought up if you learn those stories about Moshe and about Eliyahu, that they sort of were the two prophets who did really encounter God in a way that nobody else did. And even with that being true, we see that in a way Chazal really wants to limit what that interaction was. Yeah, and so then just to cap off this the text here, right? Because it says, This is Moshe, right? He grasps, this is Pnekisei, the throne, right? This throne that has come down. So it says specifically that he grasps the, the, the throne. And then the Gemara says, well, yes, but that's because the throne came down. Ad Asara. The throne comes down to the point of ten tefachim, I guess, above the ground, and then Moshe reaches up and reaches and grasps a hold of this throne. So the encounter between Moshe and Hashem is 
present here, meaning yes, there is an encounter. And no, they're not going to give up on this principle of the the never the twain shall meet, at least within this ten tfachim, which is actually not a large amount of space. Right? Ten tfachim we've we've already established it's relatively small. Um and again, and then it goes back to connect it to the to the nine tfachim of the Arun, meaning that's where the Gemara goes next. But what I liked about this is you know, we're talking about, you know, if we're going to take, let's springboard off of the daf for a moment. Um, the idea that Sukkot, that dwelling in a sukkah means that right, we put ourselves at the mercy of Hashem, basically, right? We're, it's a temporary dwelling and we're subject to the weather and things like that. Um, the idea that there is somehow inherent in this measurement of the smallest sukkah, which is smaller than our Sukkot, at least for the most part, certainly, um, there is a, uh, reliance on the divine that we're not going to meet, right? So that um, I'm not saying this quite well enough, but there's but there's something here I think in terms of the encounter with the divine through Sukkot, even though that's not really it's not it's not doing that, right? The the Gemara is not making a drusha to that degree. The Gemara is focusing on the measurements and sticking to the idea that never the twain shall meet to the extent of in the same physical space. And yet our sukkah is, our smallest measurement of the sukkah is based on, at least here, right? Then it's taken to derive to elsewhere. But here the discussion is about that measurement being the smallest space that keeps Hashem from God and uh, that keeps Hashem from man and man from Hashem. And yet this is our encounter in the sukkah. I haven't said it well, and it needs a little more fleshing out, but um, that's that's my where my thinking is heading today. Uh, that's a really interesting thought also. Like, what does it mean about what we're doing in the sukkah itself? And what is the purpose of that space? Um, I hope we're going to see more about this. I mean, this is just the beginning of sukkah. But right, there's a, but there's definitely something happening here about the concept of space and how holy can space be made. And again, that Chazal is making some type of real distinction that there is some element of the divine uh, you know, that doesn't only for Moshe did it somehow inhabit human space and humans really can't ever get into the divine space. Um, and yet how dependent are we on Hashem without ever quite encountering him? Right. And Sukkah is all that holiday that describes exactly that encounter is our absolute dependence on God. Um, I'm going to move on to something else on the daf. Um, so the rest of the daf was a little bit odd in a way. You know, when Ann and I were preparing this, we were thinking about sort of like, what's the universal theme here? What exactly is going on? And there essentially is a very lengthy discussion about how do you know about this sort of extra tefah that was on the hour and all of these different sort of uh, examples abroad by a variety of different people use this, use that. You learn the tefach from here. You can learn a tefach from there. Maybe you learn a different measurement. And there's a phrase that keeps getting repeated, especially when they reject many of these suggestions. Um, and so I'll read the first time that we see see this phrase. So again, they're in this discussion uh, that started, you know, they understand Bishlam Aaron Tisha, right? That the Aaron had to be sort of nine tefachim high, they quote a pasuk here uh, from Shmot uh, chapter 25, verse 10. 
where they figure that out. So they add that up that it's one and a half amot, which basically equals uh, nine tefach. But then they have this, the thickness of the cover needed to be a tefach. And that's really what they want to figure out is what was the thickness of the kaporet? How do we know that it was a tefach? Detani Rabbi Hanina, because Rabbi Hanina taught, Kolakilim Shasamosha, Natna Behen, Torah, Midat Arkan, Umidat Rechaban, Umidat Komatan. And so he basically says that all the vessels that Moshe made for the tabernacle, for the Mishkan, right? The Torah gave their dimension and length, their dimension of width, and their dimension of height, right? Kaporet, but for the Kaporet, for this art covering, Midat Arkan, Midat Rechaba. Not na midat komata lo not na. The length, the the uh, length and the width was given, but the height was not given. And so, therefore, the Gemara goes on to state seulamad mipachot shabakelim. So, why don't we go out and learn from the smallest sort of measurement or dimension that's mentioned with any of the vessels in the Mishkan? Shenemar. Now they're going to quote a, that again a pasuk from Shmot chapter twenty-five, but instead of this be, being verse ten, it's verse twenty-five. You should make its border a tefach around. And so this is how you met the frame here of the Mishka, right? The frame. So it says, just as there it was a tefach. So here also, therefore, the thickness of the ark, this kaporet, should also be a tefach. The nailaf mikalim kufia. So then the Gemara says, we should really learn about the thickness of this kaporet from vessels themselves. In other words, what was the smallest and what was the smallest measure? And the smallest measure that really appears with the vessel itself is actually a namah. And then the Gemara says a very famous phase, which we'll see in other places of the Gemara, tafasta meruba lo tafasta, tafasta muat tafasta. So literally what this means is if you sort of grasp many, you did not grasp anything, if you grasped few, you grasped something. And so we see this in many Talmudic sources. And the idea is basically saying that when you can learn something from two possible sources, you should always take it from sort of the narrower of the two and not from the broader of the two. Um, and I think what I read is, is that sort of the logical concept is it's almost like you're trying to prove more than you can actually uh, prove. Now, in modern Hebrew, it means something totally different. When you say tafasta maruba lo tafasta, uh, it, it how would you sort of don't try to do uh, too much of something, or you're not going to get it done, or you'll fail, or something like that. So it's sort of what's interesting. Also, is this is one of the phrases that we see in the Talmud that also has a real modern application. Again, it doesn't mean exactly what it means in the Gemara itself. But it is, and it's you know a modern Hebrew phrase uh, that you will see. So this is something that we will um, that we will see in a few other uh, Gemaras. Um, it did actually appear for the first time in Masachat Yuma. We saw it on uh, on on Daf Pei, uh, but it appears here like three times as they go through you know this whole discussion of trying to figure out the measurements. And uh, you know I sort of just wanted to to point it out here.
So I, I think, and this may just, I may be wrong, but um, I think that the expression tafasta marub of lo tafasta is and was an expression all the way along, right? The idea of, um, you know, I say it as don't bite off more than you can. If you accomplish it, less and you'll get it done. Um, which if you sort of like to make a do list, um, might be good advice. Um, meaning a good you know, uh, prod to me to, to take on less. But the, I think that that's, I think that the Gabara is being punny, not punny, you know, making use of this, you know, wise saying to apply to the, to what you're, what they're trying to do in terms of the text, I think, right? Meaning rather than it being a statement about interpreting interpretation of text always, and lo and behold, it got borrowed from that to apply to a, a wise life saying, I think it's a wise, wise life saying that got applied to, to interpretation saying, you know, you're, you're doing, you're trying to do too much with that. So let's, let's use a, um, a narrower version of interpretation and we'll accomplish more with it. Right. I think that's a great way of saying what they're doing here. Um, and then I just want to point out one last thing that's on the bottom of the DAF. So that was a little what's what on the page. So they go through all these different possible sources and they really end up rejecting them all. And they're not happy with how do you know that that was really, that Kapoor was really a Teflach. Finally, they say here, and this is on the bottom of, of Ahmed Bet, So really, according to Rabbi Yehuda, according to the Tana, right? Hazal basically learned, and now we get back to, now we're actually, sorry, we've switched to the, here we're talking about the minimum height of a sukkah, because they sort of try to figure out how do you learn that kapoor is a tefach, then how do you know what the minimum height of a sukkah is, and they're just basically sort of figuring out, like, there's no clear way to learn that, and that was something that we said previously, that one of the things that's interesting about sukkah is, here's the structure that we are commanded, right, yamim. But the Torah gives literally no instruction of what does that structure actually have to look like. And so we're seeing that struggle on this page. First, we're trying to figure out what the Aaron looks like. Then we try to figure out, you know, what's the minimum for the for the sukkah itself. And finally, they basically conclude what Rabbi Yehuda says is when it comes to the minimum height of the sukkah, it's essentially just right? Like it's just something that's taught. We just sort of know. There's no biblical source. There's no parallel. It's a Messiah. And so then they say, as, as Rabbi Chia Barashi said, in the name of Rav, right? So Rabbi Chia, so this Amor says, right, that measures, right? We're talking about an, er, different areas of halacha, like when we talk about a kezayas, when we talk about, uh, a, you know, a beitza, all of these types of things. Things that have to do with chatzitza, right, which is a barrier between a person and their body when they go into a mikvah that would invalidate the mikvah immersion, okay? And then also a mechitzin, partitions that have to do sizes of halachic partitions are all halacha halacha They're not written in the Torah. These are all things that were oral law. And so essentially the Gemara comes to basically say, you're right. We don't actually have a good source for this. And again, this is a wonderful interplay between, you know, Torah Shabbat and Torah Shabbat Whereas I think of Sachim and Yuma, 
you saw much more sort of the traditional midrash halakha, where they took the psukim about the korbanot or the experience of Pesach or the experience of Yuma, and they really sort of looked at how do the words appear, where do the words appear in other psukim, and they learned out what the halakha here is. Here, when it comes to sukkah, there's, you know, it's not a ritual. It's just something that you have to build. And so I think the Gemara ultimately concludes, yeah, we don't really have a textual source for it. We know that you textually, Tav wise, we know that you have to sit in one, but the measurements of it, this is all going to be Masorah. This is all Torah Shabbat. So I think we're seeing a different way of how halacha can be learned. Here, we have a biblical commandment where we're not going to use Midrash Halacha. We're really going to use, you know, sort of Torah Shabbat, Pem, Masorah, let's say, where there's no Pasuk to hang your hat on. You're just going to say, this is the Masorah, and this is how we know what the measurements are supposed to be for the minimum height of a sukkah. I think that's a really interesting observation. And I'm interested to see if it plays out or if the Gemara is going to come back, you know, on some future daf and say, oh, here is how we know. Here is how we derive it. But I think you're right. And I think it's an interesting um, introduction, really, to the whole phenomenon of a sukkah in this way of not knowing what it's supposed to be and yet having all these, you know, handed down that this is exactly what we do. Right. And I think it's even more interesting because if you remember going back to Daf Bet and we talked about this, we, you know, the 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 maximum height of how high a sukkah could be, they did a Midrash Halakha, which again, it was three different opinions. They went through and said why each opinion sort of was necessary. And it was kind of interesting because again, there was not a straightforward pasuk that said 20 amot. It was, it was definitely sort of a creative approach to text. Um, and, you know, one of the questions we were left with, can't remember if it was yesterday, the day before was, no, it was, it was yesterday, was could we find something unifying to sort of connect the maximum measurement to the minimum? And I think ultimately right. from this stuff, there's no unifying principle. Somebody wrote, you know, sort of very uh, uh, cutely on our Talking Time on Facebook page, this reminded me of sort of Einstein trying to find the theory of relativity, <laughs> you know? But I think ultimately here, there's no theory. The maximum stands by itself, how we learned that out. The minimum stands by itself. And the minimum, interestingly, is totally not based on Midrash Halakha. Which is, you know, not what we might have expected. I, I, I was surprised where it ended up here. Well, that's our DAF discussion for the day. Thank you for joining us. Rank us, review us where you get your podcast. Come talk to us on our Facebook page and tell us what you think about these measurements and how we derive them. Uh, thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. And until tomorrow, go and learn.